Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. This is Theo, your host for this episode. And today, I'd like to welcome an old friend, Jim Roos of the Financial Brands and host of Banking Transformed podcast. And welcome to the show, Jim. Finally, at long last. It's great to see you again. Yeah, you you and uh, Bradley are on my show a while ago. But man, we just given the fact that we're back to traveling, it's amazing how little we see each other. It's unfortunate. I know. It, it almost feels like we're going back on overdrive. Yeah. Um, to compensate for the last three years that, you know, we yeah. were not on the road. But glad to at least see you through the screens. And, you know, one day I'll see you in person again. Yeah, exactly. So it's been, it's been, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I still remember, family, the first time that we met that was in New York at the Hilton Hotel Finnovate Fall. And you graciously helped um, our team uh, broadcast, if you will, or amplify the report that we did on longevity fintech and the rest was history. I still remember we we're sitting there. It was like a few rows from the stage and we got introduced and you said you helped write about it. I'm like, really? Oh my God. Like it was, it was a star struck moment. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and, uh, gosh, five years. I, yeah, and I re- what I remember is the bar afterwards in the hotel <laughs> where you said, I, I remember vividly go, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to stay where I'm at. How do I build a brand? And it got us going on the conversation. And actually, in certain ways, that conversation has continued for the last five, six years. I mean, I think you left uh, AARP in 2017, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, something like that. And, um, it was interesting because you were going to take a big leap and what a leap you've made. I mean, I, I you know, high five because, uh, you know, not only did you change industries, you kept the same voice, but you've amplified it so well. And, uh-huh. you know, came from, a, I mean, came from a standing stop. I mean, you, you, you weren't known in the industry and you made it a point not to become known, but to become relevant that then became known. And that's that, that's the way. I mean, you you know my passion about that whole thing that if you don't create content and all you do is share, what are you good at? And it's and maybe it's a little bit biased, obviously, but you you continue to put out amazing content on a continuous basis. Thank you. I thought I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but <laughs> it's hard to get out of the mode sometimes. Yes. No, but thank you. Um I did heed your advice. Um you did say, you know, we need to we need to provide value to people. I still remember that. And and that's what it is for. I I don't need to be known. I think I'm still very much of a unknown in many circles and that's perfectly okay. I like most family yeah. and I'm staying in there. And um, you know, we'll see how the world goes. We talk about people getting older and, and changing and hey, I am turning fifty this year. And um Boy, I don't remember that. And <laughs> <laughs> myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and the best 50 years are still ahead of me. There so I look go. forward to it. Um, looking back though, let's, let's go time travel a little bit. Um, since we met, oh my goodness. Okay. That's been a while, 2016 to now <laughs> looking at the past yeah. few years, a lot has changed. People has come and go. Companies have come and gone. Even the conference circuit, if you will, everything has changed and evolved yeah. somewhat. What was some of your favorite 
moments or some of the most memorable moments? Well, you know, if you take a broad perspective over, you know, those years, I think probably the biggest change is the whole fintech marketplace. You know, it's changed from being a competitor to being a massive growth vehicle for investors to becoming a bit smaller and more of a collaborator. I mean, look at the way that banks and fintech firms look at each other. I mean, banks used to say, we've got to beat the fintechs. Well, all of a sudden they said, you know, fintechs have a lot going for them, but they don't have scale in those cases. So maybe collaboration makes more sense. And actually, when you look at what we were talking about back when when we saw each other the first time to today, the marketplace, while some of it is very similar, the really the relationships between the players has changed dramatically. Yeah, I I agree, especially with the um, more collaboration, cooperation part. And it's come a long way from, hey, we need to beat each other. I think there's still a little bit of that. But by and large, I wonder if we are going through something similar with big tech as well. Um, Remember those days when we talked about, you know, Amazon banking? Um, You write quite a few things on that. And to where we are right now, to even before this, with how Google has evolved, um, and now they're a big cloud partner for a lot of financial institutions, right? I I think each one has a crucial part to play that we don't necessarily need to compete with each other. The pie is big enough. And And we really don't necessarily know what the future is going to bring with all these organizations. They test the waters. I mean... I'm sorry, but I thought Marcus was going to be a big winner. I really was a big fan of Marcus. I liked the way they were building scale, the services they were putting in place. But the culture at that organization, I don't believe was ready for it. At the same time, you had Google. You brought up Google. Google wanted to build a banking brand that they would not only offer a banking product, but they'd also offer solutions that would make banks more innovative and, and a better digital offering. That died in the vine mainly because all of a sudden people are saying, you know, I don't know if I want to compete with my supplier. On the other hand, you look today and I think SoFi is almost like that same model, but in a completely different way that they, I, they're, they're a company I'm looking at on a regular basis because they have some really good solutions that they can provide financial institutions, but they're also a solution themselves. It's it's very dynamic. It takes continuous monitoring. Let's put it that way. Well, if there's anything, change is a constant in our yeah. space, right? Um, and that's that's the fun part. It I am jaded. I will be the first to admit I'll be I am jaded. I, I was just recently going through some of the uh, fintechs in, in one of the award show, and I looked at it. And I'm like, really? Haven't we done that already? Why why are we still going in circles? And sometimes I forget. I need to take a step back and look at. Well, you know, the industry is still evolving. Maybe there is still, you know, some somewhere that we can redo things and make things different and better. Well, it's interesting too, Leah. I feel that that we have a situation that when you look at companies get innovation awards. It tends to be this regular small set. But then you go over to the UK 
And I, I was just at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. And I couldn't tell you what three quarters, if not more, of the organizations did, but I saw big booths with big names. I went to an award ceremony back at last November, going to be going again this November in London. And the award winners were organizations that I wasn't totally familiar with in many cases. So it's interesting because the dynamics are regional, they're global, mm-hmm. and in some cases they're local. Yeah. And, and I think it's perfectly okay, right? We don't necessarily need solutions that every single time extend abroad because yeah. there is case to be made about being local, being able to service your particular demographics and, and the people right there and then. Um, which brings me to a question I have for you. So of all of the conferences you have attended, you talked about Money 2020, you talked about um, the uh, the award show in London for Ali, all of the conversations that you've had with so many different people from different places and companies from around the world. Is there a FinTech buzzword that you think needs to be abolished? It's like, oh my God, seriously, we still talking about it? Um, and if so, why? Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's I a know, good, that's a good question because there's, to your point just a minute ago, there's things I'm tired of hearing about. Mm-hmm. And then there's buzzwords in that context that I'm saying, really? That doesn't even make any sense anymore. One buzzword that, that gets to me because we just throw it around all the time it's probably big data. Um, it's still being used, you know, big data in this. And heck, I use it sometimes. But the reality is, what's big data? You know, is it is it all the, the touch points? Is it all the information? Is it is it actually data or is it information about channels? Well, the reality is it's it's used interchangeably without anybody really knowing what it means and doesn't mean anything. You know, big data is everywhere. And it, and it gets, you know, we're, right now we're talking and there's listening devices in my office. There's there's my phone. There's, all, there's big data being collected. Big data has no definition anymore because everything's big data. So if it doesn't define anything, does it have any value anymore? I'm not sure. The other one I, I'm thinking of is maybe fintech. You know, is fintech really a thing? You know, does does Chase not have fintech? Does PNC Bank, does BBVA, does do any of the organizations not have financial technology? It was a nice term when it was a category, but I'm not too sure if it's a differentiator anymore. You know, because I, you know, I, I can tell you some very small credit unions that I'd say they have a pretty good financial technology model going on. I don't know. I, I, buzzwords is an interesting term. What, what do you, what is, what is your buzzword you like to not hear anymore? FinTech. You literally, I was smiling inside when, when you said that, because we still seem to be struggling. And I don't think we should be. Um, how do you define FinTech? Is PayPal a FinTech? Some say it is, but some say, well, they're way too big to be a fintech. Well, if that's the case, are we saying there needs to be a size? There is a time. Like like how? It's a yeah. magical definition um, that no one seems to be able to agree on. And technically speaking, like you say, financial services, even before I was born, they were using technology. So it was not fintech. Um, I, I think as you challenger, said. Challenger right? bank. 
Yeah. Is, is it everybody? I hope everybody is a challenger bank. Yeah. It, exactly. You yeah. know, so so as a category, it served its purpose a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. Um, now, not so much. I don't really care. Like, you know. It, it and and actually, it is. isn't financial startup more of a, because everything's going to use tech. So it's not, tech's not the definition anymore. A financial startup, you know, based on the newness of it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, the, the good old question. Yeah, as you said, if if PayPal is a fintech, is that Apple? that's always right? Is that's Amazon yeah. refer to exactly? Is Amazon yeah. a fintech? Um, so it's it's interesting. So speaking of Amazon, um, I still remember the first time, the first uh, conference I attended after I left ARP was in Europe. And at that time, everyone was talking about Amazon experience and how banks need to be more like Amazon mm-hmm. because it's so easy. It's, you know, just click and here it is. And Amazon, quote unquote, knows you. And um, although I don't really know exactly how much I want people to know me, but that, that's a whole different question. And then came Apple. And, and I'm with you. I thought they were going to do really well. I love the Apple experience. I like the Apple card. I thought Goldman had it, you know, had done really well. Um, creating those products with Apple, the savings account, I love. I mean, it was just easy and um, you don't have to think about it. That's the beauty of it, right? It just, it's there and it works. Um, But I want to hear from you. What's next? Now we are where we are. Um, What what should financial institutions do? Because for a while we said, you need to be more like big techs. You need to be more like this. You need to be more like that. What should they be doing next? or what they should be doing that they still haven't done. You know, I keep on fighting the battle around, you know, I keep on giving the example of how many of you have opened an Apple card and remember how long it took. And I I have to explain to people, it's four screens where I have to touch the screen less than 16 times, which is less than the number of times I'd have to touch it to put an account number in. I then get the card and I don't have to make a phone call and type in my account number. I simply put my phone against the card until you master the simplicity of the open front door, making it easy to do business with you, I don't want to hear about it. You know, how in the world do financial institutions say they have a digital account opening platform when it takes 15 minutes? The fact that you use digital is not the game, because in many cases, you still ask for the the physical ID, the, the driver's license or government ID, and you still ask for a wet signature. Guess what? That's not digital as the consumer defines it. You know, you talk about Amazon, you talk about Apple. The key of everything is saying, how can I make it uber simple? You know, how can I make it the most simple thing in the world? And so it's not the next thing. I'm still saying that, you know, 80% of the financial institutions don't have it down to three minutes or less. And if you don't have it down to three minutes or less, I'm not going to, well, it's in my back pocket. I'm not going to do it on my phone or my watch. But if you get it simple, then I will. Now, if you look what's next as you define the the question, I think embedded banking, and that's a very broad term. But when I look at putting banking everywhere and putting everything within banking, you know, both sides of the same coin, that's really the holy grail. You know, you're familiar with Coastal Community Bank and and the, the team out there and, and the fact that, you know, I give this story often because I think it's an amazing story in that they built they made a partnership with a, a really good digital 
account platform called One. And it's one of 16 or 17 different fintech organizations. They they basically have made a financial commitment to, bought or partnered with. And all of a sudden, One becomes a platform that Walmart's going to use for their financial account. So you have Coastal Community Bank that has, I think, $4.5 billion in assets that could all of a sudden have 325 million customers because of embedded finance, because of banking as a service, because of these partnerships. That's what's next. The reality can scale up immediately by building partnerships that make sense. It's, it's an exciting, exciting time because the excuse, we're not big enough, goes away. It's, it's, it, it ranks right up there with composable solutions. And, and yeah, that's a, a pretty name for something that's nothing more than saying, I'm buying very small solutions that I can do quickly, easily, and at scale. But you're empowering every financial institution to do what the biggest organizations are doing if they're willing to embrace change, change, you know, take risk and disrupt themselves, as I often say. I like that, and hence the name of your podcast, too. Um, Banking Transformed. Yes. So I, I I agree with you. I'll give you another one with the Apple experience, um, which I've used as an example quite often. When I opened up the um, Apple savings account, just for kick, because um, you need to fund the account. I'm like, well, you know what? Let me give you this particular big bank and I'll transfer money over. But it's a small business account. Okay. The reason why I do that, and you probably know, is because for the time being, until the Apple savings account come along, if Theo wants to transfer money from the small business banking account from a huge global bank to my personal banking account, also from the same global bank, I need to pull out my checkbook. I need to write myself a check. Take a picture of it and deposit. And that's how I move money. Exactly. Twice, twice a month. I've never written more checks. Twice a month, I have to do the same thing. Now, to a different bank. But because the big national bank does not partner with Plaid very well, and they do not use Zelle as a transfer point, I have to write a check twice a month, take a picture. It's, it's insanity. Right. Exactly. But. I was able to move money from the business account to Apple savings account in seconds. Now think about that experience because I, I did it just for cake. I thought yeah. for sure I would not be able to do it. It would give me some, some sort of bogus error, right. but it went through. And so I'm like, so, so wait a minute. Why, why am I still staying over here? When I could be over here, so I don't have to keep writing myself a check. So right, yeah, and and little things. What's interesting too is you know over time you're going to get more engagement. You know, can get more engagement from Apple. You know, I, I look at my Acorns account. We've talked about this on, on different yeah. times, and I love my Acorn account because it continues to engage with me. It continues to tell me what my investments are doing. It happens seamlessly. It's like. In the in the in the corporate days, it's like my 401k. It takes up money every single week, some money, and it's built up. Honestly, and I'm I'm ashamed and happy at the same time. My largest 
savings account. And even though it's an investment service, it's a savings account for me. It's the largest savings account I've ever had in my life because they made it super, super simple. Now, what's going on with the traditional financial institutions that are big, that are risk adverse, which is part of this whole equation, that is making it so they, they don't see how how the customer struggles. I mean, now, mind you, have either one of us closed our account at our legacy organization? No, because it's a pain. They asked to do that. The reality, though, is they have less my business. They have less my relationship because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Sil- silent attrition. Yep. I was going to say you had a term for it, silent attrition. And yeah. it's so very true because, you know, for me, I'm keeping my account because it's a pain, as you say, to try to move all oh, of the yeah. transactions, all of the deposit and all of that. If there's an easier way to do it, I swear to you, I would have left a long time ago. Well, you know, it's, it's like my business account. I talk about this often that, you know, somebody asked me, where's my business relationship is PayPal. I make all my disbursements and take my all my receipts through PayPal. So therefore, that's where all the transactions are happening. What does my financial institution see as my transactions? All they see is PayPal. And in fact, because of my linkages with other accounts, they don't even see what I'm doing on Amazon or anywhere else. So the more and more they make it difficult, the less and less insight they get into who I am. Yet PayPal offers me a regular ongoing bridge loan if I ever want one for my small business because they understand my business. If I was to get that from my legacy bank, it would probably take between two and three weeks, and then I don't need the money. Because they wouldn't have the insights. They actually don't know you. Exactly. Exactly. And so they're leaving money on the table while they're leaving data on the table. Well, and you look about that, and you look at your Apple example. So you have an Apple savings account. They know what kind of things you do when you go and do something for yourself. All of a sudden, Apple, because they can track where you are at all times, they know how you spend your money. They will start giving you offers based on where you are, very much like Uber does. Even when I'm overseas, it's amazing that they'll offer me food choices based on what I bought and done through Open Table because they're a partner with Open Table. And that Uber will then be able to tell me, here's some things we can deliver to your hotel room that you're going to. Geez, you've done me more possible good in a nanosecond, then my financial institution will do my entire trip overseas. Absolutely. See, some things have not changed, doesn't it? That's what we had always been talking about. But but as I say, Theo, that's why we still have jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Job security in a bad way. Yeah. questions should be a no-brainer then if there's one thing you wish the industry would do more perhaps listen a little bit more what would that be uh, you know, that's, that's interesting <laughs> i feel like there's, a broken record there, but there's so many of them i'm gonna throw a couple maybe new ones or that we don't think about very much one is and it's a micro item it amazes me that traditional financial institutions still do management training programs the way they've always done, which they bring a new recruit in, a new employee in, and their management training program is to take that recruit for the next 18 months, maybe two years, maybe one year, around the organization to see how we do things. What a disincentive to an 
employee that's just come out of university with all kinds of great ideas. And all of a sudden you're saying, you may have great ideas, but this is how we do things. So immediately you realize, geez, we're kind of going anti-innovation with the people that can probably provide us the best ideas in the business. In the same sense, on a more broader scale, we've got to move more from risk avoidance to risk management. I mean, when we look at WeBank, when we look at a lot of these other very successful fintechs, they will accept a much broader array of consumers, consumers that most financial institutions on a one-on-one basis would say, they're not going to bring enough value to our, our model without realizing that as a whole, and when you have no money having to be invested in physical structures, that they are a great investment into their future. And as long as you continue to look at each individual as a risk, you know, oh my gosh, don't give me a credit card because I may not pay back my $500 that I have on the credit card, as opposed to saying, if I got another 200,000 people with a minimal amount of credit and only, you know, a small percentage of them go bad, what have I really lost? We don't put, we continue to view things as we have always. And as a result, we continue to avoid risk and lose opportunities to the segments that really we need to serve the most, which gets into your field quite a bit. Yes. One of these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, I almost feel like too, Part of that is is data and technology and how they use it. Because I remember, oh my goodness, when was this? 2018 maybe? When I was in Hongju and they were talking about how Ali, um, Alibaba was using data to, to try to do underwriting and, and right. credit risk. And they said three minutes it takes to evaluate and assess the, the, the risk of a customer one second to disperse the loan and zero human interaction. This was 2018. And where are we right now? 2023. I'm like, oh my God. You know, it's amazing. Alibaba and WeBank, both in China, looked at it the same way. They, They took data from the phone. Is the person using, has the person had a phone for a while? How are they using that phone? How do they interact? How often does the phone leave the person? In other words, they can determine who most likely is going to go bad. The rest of the people, they include. They let them bank with them. You know, Alibaba and WeBank both made a lot of money financing just phones. The reality, though, is what they looked at is saying, number one, not how good are you going to be, how much revenue you're going to generate, but are you a bad player? Well, there's very few of those in the marketplace at any one time. Now, is there a possibility I might lose some money on somebody? Yes. But if I let them into the, the ecosystem, they're going to go out of their way to serve me to be better because they don't want to be left out again. I, Yeah, it's the most frustrating thing in the world because there is still, especially in the United States, so many people that are underserved that if we just opened our eyes and said, well, wait. They may have a credit bureau, but they pay the rent. They have 
good parents. They've used their phone wisely. They've paid their bills. Okay, how bad can it be? And you don't have to give them a $5,000 line of credit. You sometimes can give them a $100, and that's enough. Yeah, sometimes that, that's all it takes, right? Um, so that they don't have to do an overdraft for the next one and the next one and use all kinds of different services that end up costing them more. Um, I think it's a matter of looking at things in a different perspective. What do you uh, What do you wish the industry would do more of? Put your that, question back to you. It, it's that. It's is, bill, is willing to question ourselves a little bit more why we aren't doing more. Right. We, yeah. we have we are really, really good at coming up with reasons on why we can't do things. We don't do enough of a job. And balancing it back and say, well, but what if what if right? Yeah. We're not doing enough of what if we, we seem to be very happy with the status quo and say, yep, I have my list of 1000 reasons and we're just going to stick with it because this is exactly how we've always done things. Like what you were saying, the example of onboarding new new people right? Um, who yeah. were not jaded, who didn't know exactly how the industry has always worked, but give them a chance. Don't break them into the old mold. And then wonder, wait, why isn't our industry changing? It's not changing because exactly of how the mentality is and how we beat people down until they comply. <laughs> well, the challenge, the challenge also, Theo, is, you know, I look at the middle market banks, the, the regionals, those that, those that have been in business successfully for years. And, and I say it and it, it rubs some people the wrong way, but you know me, I, I don't mind that once in a while. Um, that the problem with the middle market, not the smallest, not the largest, is they're led by the same white men that played golf together 30 years ago as management trainees. And they've gone through the 30 years of their career without having a bad year. They've never lost money. They've done very well. They have succeeded. They've gotten all kinds of accolades. They've moved up the ranks. And as a result, why mess with it? There's no fear. It's like I use the analogy going to the doctor. The doctor says, you got to do this. And you do it for a little bit. You don't do it for a long time. You come back. You're in the same position kind of as you were the last year. But the reality is you didn't die until the doctor said, by the way, based on what we see now, you're going to die. And it's amazing how change can happen. But most financial institutions from one billion to five hundred billion have not had a bad year, and they have the same lazy leadership. And as I've done so many podcasts, and you've done so many podcasts, the one differentiator between the winners and the losers is top management. It really is, because if you're not given the ability to do something different, you won't. You're not going to be a winner. You're not going to. You're not going to fit in. And it, it's. It, you know, I look at what you've done and, and what your whole transformation as a human. And you get, I get frustrated. I know you get frustrated going, why can't everybody see that it won't kill you? And that, you know, as an organization, same way, you're not going to go out of business by taking modified risks. You will go out of business potentially if you don't take them. Also, the question of if they have the incentive to change, right? Oh. Because if it's always work, why well, wrong yeah. Oh, exactly. 
<laughs> right? I don't want to be the, the one executive that's going to tank this bank or put us in the red, which yeah. has never happened before. So let's not do that. Um, and I would also add, I, th I think just looking up around us, a lot of the conversations is very inward looking. Yeah. We're not willing to look outside of the industry. We're not willing to look outside of people who don't fit a particular mode. And we're also not willing to look outside of the country. That, that's been one of oh, yeah. the frustration is, you know, we travel a lot, right? Yeah. Both you and I. And we are out in a boat. We see how other businesses do things. We see how other countries do things. And then we come back here and it's the same conversation over and over. I'll give you a simple example, Super App. The whole concept of Super App has been around for six, seven years. Gosh, this is nothing new. When we started talking about it, I remember um, in one of the series of the podcast, uh, Run Envelope, people came and said, well, interesting, but yeah, so, so what? Or some people say, well, you pay with a QR code, so what? But but the point wasn't just that you pay with a QR code. The point is that you can use technology to do things differently and enable different people to do things yeah. differently. And that was the magic. Fast forward five years, people are like, oh, my God, we all need to be super up. Really? We, we, we got done talking about that. Now we've moved on. As yeah. Next. yeah. Um, you know, why 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 couldn't... Why wouldn't we open our eyes a little bit more and be willing to listen a little bit more? The, the U.S. is an amazing country. And, uh, you know, I've moved here for over 30 something years ago. This, this is my home. But that doesn't mean that there are no interesting things outside of our home yeah. that we can learn from. Um, yeah. I wish we can do more of that is learn, learn, be willing yeah. to learn. Well, it's, it's taking chances. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's taking risk. And, you know, as I, both of us often say, change sucks. So the reality is there's no risk if you don't do anything different in most people's minds, but there is. And that's the thing we all have to wake up to. There's still risk. Yes. Yes. Well, the only thing that we, we can avoid risk is stay home, maybe. <laughs> that's risky. That's risky. <laughs> that can yep. be risky. So before I let you go, crystal ball moment. What do you think it, um, give me like two predictions that you're going to see in the next 12 to 18 months. What would that be? According to Jim, because you ask people that all the time, end of the year, especially, yeah. Yeah. what is your forecast? So let me ask you this. What's your forecast? Well, it's interesting because this, the scope of that forecast, it's amazing what COVID did for us. We no longer say, what do you see happening in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, it's, uh, what do you see in the next 12 to 18 months? What do you see in the next, you yeah, know, half I can't year? see five years. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm starting to see it. And, and I think we have a thunderstorm going on. There's sound in the background. I'm hearing it through my headphones also. So um, I think we're going to see a significant and an obvious expansion of the gap between the leaders and the followers with a greater financial risk to being a follower. So I'm going to put that in the context of AI. Um, organizations that say, I'm going to wait to see what happens. I think there's going to be a financial penalty that needs to be paid. And as a result, we're going to start to see a lot more consolidations, a lot more failures, which is just another consolidation variable because it just doesn't go away. But I think we're going to see 
that organizations that are not changing, that are not keeping up, are not meeting the needs of a consumer that is getting new ways, to your point, new ways to pay at a, even a restaurant nowadays than they've ever thought they'd have. I think there's going to be a price to pay, and I think we're going to observe it tactically, where we're going to actually, it's not going to be, well, that organization isn't as advanced as the other, from what I can tell. No, we're going to be able to tell, and I think we're going to see it because consumers are already moving balances. It's when they leave completely that organizations will no longer be asleep at the wheel saying, our attrition is less than 1%. No, it's not. You know, you know, look at your funds transfer. Look at what happened to funds when the government gave COVID checks and see what the funds transfer were. See what's happened with Theo and Jim when they're writing checks to another bank or to the same bank in your case. You know, I think we're going to start to see obvious and quickly expanding differences between those organizations that are looking at banking differently, as we've discussed, and those that don't. The second one, and I, I unfortunately, it's gonna be, I'm going to get my toe half wet, is I think we're going to see the emergence of a non-traditional player within the top 10 financial institutions. It may be PayPal, it may be Apple, it may be Amazon, it may be SoFi, it may be Chime, it could be somebody. But I think we're going to see that in every way that you measure size or importance as far as top 10 financial institutions, I think you're going to see in the next maybe 24 months, um, one of these organizations be in the, in the top 10 spots. I, Amazon, I mean, Apple is well on its way already, just in a very silent way. Most people don't put together what they're doing on the commercial and the consumer side, but I, I, I truly think we're going to see one of the tech firms become um, a major financial player. How about you? I agree with you um, on especially that last one. Um, and what people forget is that they don't need to be a full-blown bank no. to do what they do, right? No. And that's what people miss all the time. Is no, they don't, they don't. They don't need to do all of that. I think they have done enough. They have enough data. They have enough tech stack that's in place. They know customers. They know consumers. They know how they work, and and they they know how to make it easy. They know the pain point. They know how to make things work in the background. And that's something that you know we've been asking for for a long time. Like your example with Acorns, that's one of my favorite. It just works itself. Yeah. Or like you know Apple Savings account. I the other day I was looking. I'm like, oh wait, this is a nice chunk of savings I've had. I, I didn't even think about it because of the cashback and all the transactions you've been using the card for. At the same time, they keep churning the data and keep knowing more and more and more about me, more so than I know about me. Oh yeah. And you know what? I would be perfectly okay if they can do banking services better than my bank. It's a value transfer. Exactly. You know, it's, like we, it's like we think about Amazon. Who would have thought ever that we'd pay $150 or more a year to be an Amazon Prime where you really get no real, not that I know of, advances versus not being Amazon Prime. But I don't want to not pay it and find out that I missed something. You know, I know I'm going to get delivery at the same time. I know I can buy all these things. The issue is they don't do things wrong. They know me. They understand me. They reward me. 
they make it so I don't have to search through 40 things to get to what I want. They know what I what I trend towards. You know, as I, I kid about on stage when I'm speaking, you won't see them offering many, many things that are pink, green, or yellow. You'll see them offering me a whole lot of black, white, and red things. Um, they know that I buy brand names. They also make it so that returns are easy and they 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 have mastered the management of my data without making a mistake. That's a huge value transfer. I'm willing to pay for that. I will too, without the poem. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw your post on that. Nah, I'm not doing not the yeah. poem. Yeah. Just yet. Uh, it's one of those, if you lose your passport, you can change it. God forbid you messed up your social, you can get a new but we, one. But we give our Palm face. Print? We give our face every day. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's a whole different um, episode that I will probably need some alcohol to go with. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for spending time with me, Jim. It's it's been too long. Um, So I appreciate you. And again, congratulations on your new book. Um, I know it's a bestseller already on the new business book list, and and it's quite exciting. kind of caught me by surprise when I saw you were coming out with another book. That's pretty cool. You're an author. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think my kids forbid me to do another one for a while. So I'm going to take a rest. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, what's, what's better way to learn something new than to write about it. So, well, and actually people ask me, you know, when are you going to write a book, Tim? I said, guys, you got to remember every Monday I write a chapter and, you do. and, and mind you, I, I don't know if it converts well to a book, but right now, the last thing I need is something else to add it to my to-do list. Oh, it will come. It will come. Yeah, we'll Let see. me know what it does. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again for your time. And for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week. 